This is One in 36, a presentation of the Anderson Center for Autism. One in 36 is a weekly show devoted to autism spectrum disorder. Good morning and welcome to One in 36, the weekly talk show on topics related to autism spectrum disorder. I'm your host, Eliza Bozenski, Chief Development Officer at Anderson Center for Autism. And today I have a return guest, uh, all around wonderful person, and her name is Janine Crashwag, and she is the Executive Director of the Autism Society Greater Hudson Region. Janine, welcome back to the show. Great to have you. Thank you for having me back. I love having you back. I I think that when we talk, we always get into, uh, you know, updates and what's been going on and how things are going. But because you're affiliated with such an incredible advocacy and sort of impactful, but also grassroots type of organization, we often get to talking about what's going on in the world. And maybe today we'll spend a little time on, you know, a question somebody asked me the other day, which is, what does it really mean to create an accessible, inclusive space? And I was like, good maybe question. Janine and I will chat about that. <laughs> yeah, very good question. Um, all right. Well, before we get there, let's start, though, with I know last I believe last time you were on the show, we did talk about how uh, what had been the, the greater capital region was sort of moving into the Hudson region. And so where there you're the organization that you are executive director of. Just give us a north to south. How much space do you cover? Uh, so we cover 21 counties right now. We were previously known as the Autism Society of the Greater Capital Region. Mm-hmm. When we picked up additional counties, uh, we changed our name to Autism Society Greater Hudson Region. And we really go from Westchester County all the way up to Warren, Washington County. That is our official catchment area, but we will also serve additional counties if they have no representation by another autism society affiliate um you know we're going to answer family questions because that's what we do that is actually i was not expecting to be responding and reacting so quickly but i that just made me think that it's a misnomer to think that where one autism society sort of catchment area officially ends there's immediately across the street the next one right there are gaps where where individuals and families probably do not have representation. Yeah, that is so true. So um, for people who are new to the Autism Society in general, uh, we are uh, an affiliate of a national organization called the Autism Society of America. Mm-hmm. And they have representation across the United States, not all states, unfortunately. And our statewide look can be different state to state. Some states have uh, an overall statewide affiliate, mm-hmm. and then they have local regional affiliates underneath them. New York State does not have a statewide autism society for New York, so we only have regional affiliates. Mm-hmm. And in our case, there are four right now. We have one down in Long Island covering both counties. Mm-hmm. We have the Hudson region, greater Hudson region carrying uh supporting 21 counties. And then we have Autism Society of Central New York. um, And they are all volunteer driven. Uh, Just Long Island and the Hudson region have staff. Uh, Mm -hmm. Western New York is the other one. They may have one or two staff members now, uh, but pretty much it started very grassroots. A lot of affiliates across the country are still voluntary uh, board members running the organizations. And then some have staff. Some of us are very small. 
Some of us are very large and give typical Medicaid-funded services. So depending mm-hmm. on where you live is depending on what your experience will be with the Autism Society. My hope is that it is, and I have to believe because I know many of the executive directors, mm-hmm. that all of our affiliates come from the same heartfelt, we want to serve and support the autism community. Yeah, so you, so ideally, and, and let's, let's just assume for now um, that you know, it's a welcoming sort of, I know I've talked to you before about, you know, if, if you call and you know what you're looking for, great. Somebody's going to try to help you. If you call and you're not sure what you need or what might be looking for, but you can kind of describe where you're at. Somebody's also there to sort of help you maybe figure out a direction to go. Um, you know, I, and I, and I do appreciate that a lot of the, the folks who both work and also volunteer with the autism society, um, and the different, the different regional, um, offices and, and things are many times have a personal connection, often are parents of a loved one on the spectrum. Would you say? Uh, yes. Uh, we get a lot of family members who call in, but increasingly through the years, we have a very large representation of individuals with autism who are calling in, who are looking for support, services, mm-hmm. someone to talk to. And uh, we get, uh, you know, quite a few community members also, professionals, but also communities where they're trying to figure out how to make their towns and regions. Um, they're trying to figure out how to make their town and regions uh, autism friendly. Okay, well, that- there's a good lead in to... <laughs> To that bigger question. And, and I know we're also going to cover, so to make sure listeners that you, you stay with us the whole time, because we're going to catch up on some things that have, uh, gone on with the, uh, autism society, autism society, greater Hudson region, and also some upcoming things and some new programs. But since you just gave me that perfect segue, Janine, um, that is a movement, right? The, the autism friendly environments, which is a program, uh, one of the autism supportive programs, Anderson, offers but you can they come in many different names but they're have a, a very similar goal which is to make our communities our businesses our restaurants our uh you know our our uh community playgrounds our uh schools and everywhere just just as autism supportive autism aware autism friendly as possible we've even seen some whole communities come together in various uh states including new york um to to do it as a community-wide um kind of um i don't know what the word is but a community-wide effort yes really led by often another group of volunteers from that particular community so what i was was saying before is um, I've recently been asked the question, you know, well, what does it mean to make, for example, a playground uh, accessible or inclusive, which are words we hear now all the time. I think it's great that we hear these words all the time, yes. but it threw me that this person asked me this question and I started to give what I often say, which is, you know, just sort of breaking down barriers and making it feel like a really welcoming, uh, safe space for anyone, regardless of any physical, neurological, mental health um, or other challenges, just something for everyone. And the person kind of said, yeah, that's what I'm hearing a lot. But what is it like? What do you have to put in to a playground? What do you have to do there? And so I, I kind of loved it because now we're at that point where, where people are drilling down to like, okay, I get the concept and I like it, but I'm standing here in my community playground and I'm not sure what I'm supposed to see that would make it actually inclusive and accessible. So what do you think of of that question? How would you answer that? Well, uh, you know, it's an interesting concept. So I'm a firm believer in globally accessible community spaces, period. Um, I often joke and say, you know, if you build it for people with autism, you're really going to serve the greater community. 
I agree. Right. right. Because we're talking about how, how do people with autism socialize? How do people with autism communicate? How do they experience the world? And so when you're crafting spaces, uh, and of course, the autism spectrum is so large and diverse, how how do we meet all of those needs? Right. Um, and it can really be tricky. But when you look from a global accessibility, you know, we have kids with autism who are visually impaired, who are hearing impaired, um, who are speaking, non-speaking, different communication. So um, I talked recently with the uh, part of the New York State's Parks Department, and we were going through some of their spaces. And I said, you know, wherever you can give opportunities for both joint play, right, two or more children playing, along with solo individual play, mm-hmm. um, you know, is really think about those areas. Think about all of your sensory systems. Right. Uh, what are they seeing? What are they hearing? What can they smell? Um, oh, I didn't think about smell. Yeah. Right. Right. Um, tasting. That's that's a dicier. <laughs> <laughs> that's a dicier concept. We don't want our kids picking things up and randomly popping them in their mouth without um, some safety protocols in space and in, in place. But we know we really think about how do kids move? You know, what's what's your vestibular sense? Where is your body in space? What does gravity do for you? But also textures and then communication can be something as simple as a communication board. I've seen playgrounds and parks purchasing these gorgeous communication. They're using a PEX style or picture exchange style. Right. And they make it um, not so that it's like the autism area, but they make it globally accessible to all people. So who does that serve? That serves our kids who are, quote, neurotypical. It serves our kids with whatever differences uh, or disabilities that they may have. It also serves an older population, a non-English speaking population, because when you can communicate visually and not just be required to be verbal, you can catch a lot of people and increase reciprocal communication, reciprocal play, joint attention. And so those are the things that I usually advise people to think about. What can you see, touch, hear, feel, and how can you move through space? I love that answer so much. And it just popped into my head that as you were talking, especially when you brought up the idea that, which I think is absolutely true, that when you start down this path of the specific types of things you can do, you start to realize that this is serving so many, so many people, um, really everybody, because, because you're not, it, it just made me think that by when, when asked, you know, how can I be, make this space more inclusive or accessible? It actually comes down to a mindset change where you're not thinking about exactly. the people that you think you're supposed to be thinking about in terms of, well, this person with this neurological challenge might need this and this and this. You're actually sort of op- you're sort of thinking about um, what would make this space better for anyone um, in, 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 you know, and there are specifics and I love the examples you gave, but but so much of what you shared are things that I think just make sense for even anybody who who just, you know, wants a space that they where they can be with um, with a, one or two other friends or wants a space where they can enjoy a space by themselves and not feel like there's this huge expanse of space and they're the only one out there. It's kind of exactly. designed for singular play or activity. Um, so I, um, next time I get asked that question, I'm just going to send that person to you, Janine, and then and you can <laughs> yes, please do. Please do. Yeah. It's, um, uh, you know, it's important that families feel comfortable. 
Yeah. Right? The world is an uncomfortable place in general. Yeah. And so whatever we can do to help families and extended families, you know, we have to think sometimes it's not the parent taking the child to the playground or maybe even an mm-hmm. older individual with autism. Could be a sibling, a grandparent. Yeah, that's right. Could be that's right. Exactly. Um, we're going to take a short break, but I know when we come back, um, we're going to move right into some of the things that you at the Autism Spot Society Greater Hudson Region are uh, have some new programs that are kind of a little bit along these lines, I think. Um, yes, they are. Uh, and so we're going to get into that. So this is one in 36, the weekly talk show on topics related to autism spectrum disorder. I'm your host, Eliza Bozenski, and we'll be right back. There are a ton of social networking websites, but one stands apart for a very special reason. This one saves lives. It's MatchingDonors.com. MatchingDonors.com links organ donors with people in need of kidney and other transplants. In the U.S., 22 people die each day waiting for an organ transplant, most of them for kidneys. If you've ever considered becoming a living organ donor, or if you're someone in need of an organ transplant, visit MatchingDonors.com, home of the greatest gift of all, the gift of life. MatchingDonors.com. If I could be you. And you could be me. For just one hour. If you could find a way. To get inside. Each other's mind. Walk a mile in my shoes. Walk a mile in my shoes. Walk a mile in my shoes. We've all felt left out. And for some, that feeling lasts more than a moment. We can change that. Learn how at belongingbeginswithus.org. Brought to you by the Ad Council. Walk a mile in my shoes. Medicaid and CHIP offer free or low-cost health coverage for children and teens. Hospital and doctor visits, prescriptions, shots, and more are covered. That's peace of mind for parents if a child is sick or gets injured. And parents may now be eligible for Medicaid, too, even if they've applied in the past. Enrollment is always open. Visit insurekidsnow.gov or call 1-877-KIDS-NOW. Paid for by the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services. And now, 1 in 36 continues on 100.7 WHUD. This is a weekly community affairs program presented by the Anderson Center for Autism. Welcome back to 1 in 36, the weekly talk show on topics related to autism spectrum disorder. I'm your host, Eliza Bozenski, Chief Development Officer at Anderson Center for Autism. And I'm talking with Janine Crashwag, Executive Director of the Autism Society, Greater Hudson Region. Janine is a good friend of the show. She's a good friend of Anderson. And um, it's just nice to be catching up with you. So, um, so we were just in the first half kind of getting off on our, on our role of what does it really mean to be accessible, to be inclusive? Um, you know, we're seeing more and more of it. We're seeing a lot more of that language getting sort of used in, in vernacular and in, in the media. So it was nice to hear your thoughts on that. Um, I know that you have some new programs that you wanted to talk about today. Um, sen- sensible play and sensible swimming. So could you share? A couple things about those. Absolutely. And how we get more information. Absolutely. So we started sensible programming um, just a few years prior to COVID. And the idea in general was where do families naturally congregate? What venues are they in? Uh, what parts of the community are they in? And we started a series of programs, uh, started with sensible movies where we would go to a local theater. They would show the same movies that they were showing. We targeted that towards a younger audience. And the Mm -hmm. only difference was we kept the lights on a little bit. We lowered the sound. Uh, We rented one of the party rooms so kids, you know, if they needed a break. And if they stayed for five minutes, that's a win. If they stayed for the entire thing, that's a win. 
Mm-hmm. Um, we did it with a local children's museum, a sensible science program. We trained their staff. We made sure they understood uh, what it might look like for a child who might come up to um, for the movies, ask for popcorn at a museum, want to understand how a display is working. So our goal is not to create segregated opportunities, but to push into natural environments that families would attend with or without a child with autism. This year, we expanded those programs to Sensible Play, which is a lovely, wonderful program. We literally go out to local uh, playgrounds and parks. We let our families know that we will be there. We provide staff members who are there who will do a little public um, health assessment. How are you? How are you doing? Do you know about OPWDD? How Ah. is school going? Uh So we combine opportunities um, for play and family meetings uh, to assess how our community is going. So we don't really do anything special at the playground other than to let families know that we're there. We bring some snacks and some quiet activities and the kids can play on the playground, take a small hike, whatever they're doing. They interact with the general public. But if they need to have a little bit of a sensory break um, or moms or dads or grandparents, in many cases, need to talk about what's going on. It is just a lovely, great program. And so we're hoping to expand it. We did three um pilot uh, playground and it was well attended very much loved and i think we'll be doing more we'll see if we can get some into some indoor play spaces this year i think that'd be great and i just want to i know there's another one at least but i want to interrupt just by saying that when you were describing what happens at the playground where the little you know how are you and well how's school going and you know are you having any issues getting in touch with opwdd or anything like that what you're doing and you said it's not very special um And I get why you said that, because it's not flashy. It's not, um, you know, a big gala fundraising event. But what it is, is a very traditional, typical experience for families interacting on a playground with their young kids. When you take your kids to a playground, you inevitably get into a conversation with some other caregiver who's on the playground, whose kid is either a little bit younger, a little bit older, and you're going, maybe they know a little bit more about this than I know. So I love that it, 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 um, and I would, I would hope that it really feels like a community center type of activity um, where you just ask me this question. Exactly. (laughs) And I think, I I just think that for so many years, um, I don't know, I'll call it society. I don't know what to call it, but I think that, that, Unfortunately, families raising a loved one with uh, autism or other special needs were sort of, um, you know, isolated and, and also maybe, um, it was not, uh, really talked about that they have the same questions that every other yes. parent exactly. has and, and can be receptive and will be receptive to the same type of really sort of just try this, you know, how are you doing? You know, I talk a lot about being kind and, you know, if you don't know what else to do in a situation where you're uncomfortable, just be nice. <laughs> usually yes. usually just that's be a nice. big step up from what, from what somebody else might've, you know, recently experienced. So I just wanted to point that out because I think while it is maybe, like I said, not flashy, it is certainly not small uh, what you're doing. Uh, no, no, it's not small. Um, you know, and knitting a lot of families who have uh, children with autism can get easily isolated. Mm-hmm. And so we're also looking, you know, we're very quietly introducing families to each other. Oh, you have a three-year-old. You have a three-year-old. Mm-hmm. You don't live that far from each other. 
And so we'll make those introductions. So it nice. really is knitting a community um, in a very accessible space and place for children. But the look of relief on the parents' faces <laughs> is remarkable. They feel welcome. They don't have to explain everything. Right. They don't have to make excuses for, um, you know, whatever play style or communication style their children have. You know, we focus so much on behavior in mm -hmm. autism um, and these kids go to a lot of therapy in many cases. It's just an opportunity to play, be welcome, be embraced, be a part of your community and make new connections. And as a parent myself, I have a 36 year old who's on the spectrum. I would have given anything to have an opportunity for that level of acceptance for my child who did play differently. Yeah. Who struggled, you know, with some peer relations. So um, it's an understated program with huge value is how I see it. <laughs> I love it. I love it. Um, we're we're getting close to the end of our time. We have a couple more minutes. Can you tell us about sensible swimming? Because I know that's also addressing a big issue. In, yes. In the community. Yes. Uh, you know, as I'm sure you're aware, we have one of the highest drowning rates um, of all communities. Our children wander, elope, and if they're not found in time, oftentimes they're in water uh, with a tragic outcome. Mm -hmm. So we have a board member, um, Mary Cavani, who has a child with significant autism. And uh, she started teaching one-to-one uh, -one classes to make sure that these children had some peer opportunities and adults. It's not just children, it's also adults. Uh, but they also learned some of the basics. Could they get to the side? You know, could they recognize, you know, not to walk into water? Of course, water is so attractive and sensory friendly. Sure. Right. So Mary works very diligently with local community pools, YMCA, Center for Disability Services, wherever there's a pool we can get into. Uh, we work with small groups of individuals. It's very inexpensive. And they get at least a good rescue um, ability uh, to to learn about swimming, and hopefully we're saving lives. That's yeah. really the main goal here is to reduce death from accidental drownings. Yeah, which is, I mean, it's it is terrible, and and sadly uh, continues to be a, a serious problem. And and I know impacts a, a, a tremendous number of families. Sadly, um, what I like though about the way you describe this program is that instead of kind of going big scale, like let's just you know find ways to make it so uh, you know kids and adults with with uh, autism are not attracted to water, which is really just I mean I I don't know how you do that, but to work with the fact that okay we know this is going to be an attractive thing for somebody to walk towards, or if especially if they're not you know being supervised by somebody in the moment. So I love the, the just the simple things of can they find a side. Can and they recognize that that is a safe place to go to the edge of whatever body of water they yeah. might um, be in because it's closer to, to getting or out. tread water long enough. Or tread water long enough. Or hopefully, if anything, you know, if possible, avoid just walking in and noticing, I like this, but I need to find someone to safely help me get in or, you know, touch it or whatever it might be. Um, I think it's courageous. I mean, it's not something that anybody wants to uh, talk about. I've interviewed um, first responders who told really, really upsetting stories about, um, about, you know, getting those calls and, um, Horrible. and using their, yeah, it's, it's awful. Some of them do have positive outcomes. I mean, people have been, have been rescued and have been saved, but I think it's really courageous and great that, that you're all uh, starting this program. And I would encourage people to learn more about it. Um, and with that, we kind of have to wrap up. 
Um, is there a place where people can learn more about these programs, Janine? Is there a website or something? Absolutely. You, to go? Um, you can come, you can follow us on Facebook. Just look for the Autism Society Greater Hudson Region. We have a website, asghr.org. Um, our phone number is 518 518- Three five five two one nine one, and we encourage all family members, community members, uh, to reach out to us. If we don't have the answer, we'll try to figure out who does and try to Great. support people um, in whatever way that we can. Thank you, Janine. Let me just repeat that. So you can follow uh, um, Autism Society Greater Hudson Region on Facebook. You can go to their website, ashgr.org. You can call them at 518-355-2191. I will attest to the fact that even if you need to leave a message, somebody will call you back. They have always called me back. Um, and so I appreciate you sharing all that information. And also remember what we said at the beginning of the show. If you are not sure where you're represented or if you are geographically in an area where you don't have um, specific uh, Autism Society representation, I would think that you can also get some help by just calling or reaching out and saying, hey, who can yes. I get in touch with? Um, it's a really friendly, welcoming organization. And Janine Crashbike, thank you so much again for coming back on the show. It's great you're to see you. You're very welcome. Thank you again for having me. This is One in 36, the weekly talk show on topics related to autism spectrum disorder. I'm your host, Eliza Bozenski. And remember, Anderson cares. You've been listening to One in 36, a weekly presentation of the Anderson Center for Autism. Join them for another edition of the show at this time next weekend.